This is Jim Klug, host of the Waypoints Podcast. Experienced travelers know that gear and equipment selection is everything, especially when you're headed to remote and distant destinations. For more than 20 years, the team at Fish Pond USA has been setting the standard when it comes to luggage design for the traveling angler, with craftsmanship that incorporates sustainable fabrics and functionality derived from decades of experience. When I'm traveling the world or scouting new destinations, I'm traveling with Fish Pond gear, from waterproof duffels to chest packs to all sorts of accessories that make me more effective in the field and on the water. When you take the road less traveled, make sure you're traveling with the very best luggage and accessories. Visit fishpondusa.com to learn more. Waypoints is sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing. After 24 years in business, Yellow Dog is excited to announce that we've expanded our travel and booking business to now include a full lineup of equipment, fly, and tackle solutions for the world of fishing. We made the decision to expand into retail to ensure that our traveling clients have exactly the right gear, flies, and apparel for every destination we offer, be it a fishery close to home or an exotic destination on the other side of the planet. We all know that having the right gear specific to your destination is crucial. Yellow Dog can now pair the most relevant travel and worldwide fishing information with the perfect fly and equipment options for our entire lineup of destinations. Visit the new website at yellowdogflyfishing.com and let's make your next adventure great. Like a backstage pass to the world of fly fishing travel, this is Waypoints, the podcast of destination angling. News and events, helpful travel tips, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from some of the most seasoned and experienced names in fishing travel. Waypoints is brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures, the industry's number one specialty travel company for the very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered for your next fishing adventure. And now, your Waypoints host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. There's no question that Patagonia is one of the premier freshwater fly fishing destinations in the world. A dynamic, one-of-a-kind region in South America that is home to dozens of world-class lodges, experienced and professional guides, and more rivers, streams, and lakes than can possibly be fished in a lifetime. The options and choices are endless, which is why deciding exactly where, when, and how to fish Patagonia can at times be confusing. This is especially true when choosing between Chile and Argentina. Here at Yellow Dog, we receive a steady stream of inquiries from anglers interested in fishing Patagonia, and usually the conversation begins with, should I be looking at Argentina or Chile, followed quickly by, can you tell me the differences between the two? But here's the thing. Regardless of the answer, there is no wrong answer. If you're fishing with a proven operation and a legitimate program in either of these two countries, you'll likely have a great overall experience. That said, you probably are going to have to pick a destination and eventually choose between the two countries, and there are a lot of options and factors to navigate. In the age of glossy websites and prolific social media accounts, narrowing down the list and cutting through the hype to find the perfect location can be challenging. A quick search on the web produces a long list of destinations scattered throughout Chile and Argentina, each claiming to be the best and all showing attractive photos of happy anglers lifting fat trophy fish. With so many choices, 
How do we begin to narrow down the list and ultimately choose the lodge or fishing operation as well as the country that fits with what you're looking for? To discuss the many differences between Argentina and Chile and to talk Patagonia in general, we're sitting down today with Jack Porter, Yellow Dog Fly Fishing's program director for South America. Jack has previously lived in Argentina, worked at several lodges in Patagonia, and during his time at Yellow Dog has assisted thousands of anglers with planning trips to one of the most incredible fly fishing regions on the planet. He's a proven industry resource for all things having to do with fishing in Patagonia, and we're excited to pick his brain on the difference between fishing in Chile or across the border in Argentina. Jack, welcome to the program, and thanks for taking time to uh, share some of your insights and knowledge with our listeners. Thanks for having me. Really excited for this and excited to talk about Patagonia and, you know, what makes it so special. Well, yeah, and, and you know, we get this question all the time about the differences between Argentina and Chile and Patagonia, but um, I, I thought it would be good if today we kind of compared and contrast both countries when it comes to fishing options and opportunities Talk about the main differences and perhaps provide some insight for anglers looking to make a decision about their next freshwater adventure. But before we do that, Jack, when we, we talk about the fishing options in both Argentina and Chile, we often talk about the region, the specific region of Patagonia. Explain what Patagonia is, what it includes, and, and what we're talking about when we use that term. Yeah, so when we start talking about Patagonia, we've narrowed it down to the bottom third of Argentina and Chile. It is a region that spans across both countries, and it is that bottom section. So, you know, it expands from, or starts rather, on the Pacific coast uh, in Chile and expands all the way to the east coast on the Atlantic in Argentina. And all of that land, you know, the mountains, the canyons, the flatlands, the high desert, all of that falls in the category of Patagonia. Yeah, and it's, it's a vast region. It, I, I think it's about 260,000 square miles, which is a staggering you know, size when you think about that. Um, about 10% of Patagonia is in Chile on the skinny, narrow side uh, of the Andes on the Chilean side, and 90% of Patagonia roughly is in Argentina. But again, rather than being you know, specific areas of each country, it's more of a kind of all-encompassing region of the bottom one-third of both of those countries. That's right, and just tremendous diversity in terms of landscapes, fishing opportunities, culture, um, you know, setting, scenery, all of that. It's just there's so much to see in Patagonia, more than a lifetime of things to explore. Uh, and, and to your point of how large it is, it, to drive from the northern point to the southern end would take... I don't know, multiple days of nonstop driving. Uh, it's just such a huge area. Probably weeks with the condition of some of yeah. the roads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is an off-the-grid area in so many parts of Patagonia, no doubt about it. One interesting fact when uh, when we were putting this together is the name Patagonia comes from the word Patagon, which is a term that the early explorer Magellan used in the early 1500s to describe the native tribes that, that they found in the region, in these southern parts uh, the first European explorers observed that the indigenous people in the area were way taller than the average Europeans at the time. So they referred to it as kind of the land of the giants or Patagon. So that's where the, the name Patagonia allegedly comes from. Interesting. I didn't know that one. Ah, a little bit of historical fact there. <laughs> it's uh, it's also pretty cool in that we talk about how you have the country of Chile, you have the country of Argentina, but with that region, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, that due to the isolated kind of geographical location of this this southern region, Many Patagonians do not consider themselves Latinos, 
And instead, they proudly call themselves Patagonians. That's a, a big sense of kind of cultural pride. There was a, a boundary treaty of 1881. It was signed between Chile and Argentina that defined the actual border between the two countries. And many that lived in the southern region were from that area. They they really wanted to keep separate from you know the bigger Chilean and Argentine pictures. They wanted to maintain their own settlements, their languages, their schools, traditions. They even have their own flag. They have their own anthems and celebrations and holidays. It's a pretty interesting place and, and one where the people are very proud to be Patagonian. Absolutely. And there's definitely that culture around Patagonia that is different than what you find in the cities. No doubt. Well, with your program and running the South America program for Yellow Dog, how many lodges approximately do you currently work with and represent throughout Patagonia? So in Patagonia, I'd say we're dealing with 25 to 30 lodges. Um, and again, there's such an expansive region that not all of them would fall into that category of kind of classic trout fishing. You know, you've got the dynamic fisheries where you can hit all types of water from one location, and then you've got more specific and specialized areas like Tierra del Fuego. We've got a handful there and Jurassic Lake, uh, a couple lodges there. Uh, so, you know, about 30 lodges in total. And you've got Argentine and Chilean operations outside of the Patagonian region as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. So more in Argentina, we've got options outside of Patagonia, and that's going to be more in the north of the country and what's considered the more tropical environment. So for the most part, it's going to be Dorado fishing, and that's all going to be on the Paraná River and its separate you know, tributaries and branches. Uh, easily accessible from Buenos Aires, so it's a great add-on for an existing trip or a trip to Patagonia. Yeah, so we've got other stuff, but for the purpose of this episode, we're largely going to focus on the Patagonian region itself when we compare Argentina and Chile, just to kind of keep things simple and not get too crazy. Absolutely. If we if we talk about everything, it's too much. It's easy to get lost. It gets a little bit too crazy. So we'll focus on Patagonia for now and maybe Dorado's the next one. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, talk to us a little bit about the fishing seasons in Patagonia. Now, to describe the kind of the delineation between Chile on the west and Argentina on the east, okay, it's divided by the Andes, which is like this big, giant, severe spine that goes right down north to south, that bottom half of the South American continent. So if you're looking at it on a map to the left, you have the, the skinny little ribbon that is the country of Chile, again, about 10% of Patagonia. And then to the right of the Andes, you have Argentina, which is about 90%. Um, so talk to us a little bit about kind of the seasons. Is it similar on both sides of the Andes in, in both Chile and Argentina? I'd say it is similar overall. You know, speaking in generalities about such an expansive area is difficult you know, different regions and, and different fisheries are going to have different times that are better than others. But generally speaking, the season runs from early November through mid to late April, uh, with early November, you know, lining up with the spring and April being fall. So it's complete opposite as we have in the Northern Hemisphere. That's right. I mean, our winters are their summers, which is a nice thing if you're looking to get away from the cold that, you know, at home here in North America or in Europe and you want to go down, chase those summer seasons, have great trout fishing. The seasons are just the opposite of what we have here. Exactly. Mid-February down there, you know, coldest time up here in Montana, and that's the warmest month down Peak there. Peak of the summer. Yeah. That's right. Well, we get this question all the time, and, and I, of course, have to put you on the spot, right? People say, what is the best time to go and fish in Patagonia? 
the million dollar question, the best time to go? Uh, I would say it totally depends. And that's an answer that, you know, a lot of people don't like, but it depends on the traveler's goals, the kind of fishing they enjoy, the kind of rivers that they want to fish. You know, again, Patagonia is so big, it's hard to say this is the best time for this whole area. It, it really comes down to the specifics. You know, certain areas and regions and fisheries are going to do better in November, December, whereas others are going to do better a little bit later in the season, you know, February, March. Yeah, you got, you know, your spring season down there, which is November, December. The Patagonian summer is January through mid-March. And the fall season, kind of the end of their season, is mid-March into April. And they all fish a little differently, but they all have their pros and cons. They all have great reasons to make them really, um, you know, in-demand times to be down there. Absolutely. And I would say as, you know, when we're looking at different options and different lodges, when you're available to go is, you know, well, it can immediately narrow down the list sometimes. And once we understand your available time frame, then we're focused on fisheries and locations that are fishing well during that time. That makes sense. Well, in your program, um, how do you, do you, how does Yellow Dog select the lodges and the outfitting operations that you work with in both Chile and in Argentina? I mean, after all, it's a huge area, as we've already established. There are a lot of different operations down there. There's a lot of choices. You obviously have to be selective about those that you represent and promote, right? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of these lodges that we work with, we've been working with for a very long time. And we've got longstanding relationships. They've got proven programs. They've, you know, are widely respected in the areas that they're operating. They are, you know, employ the local community to make everything happen. And most of all, we're working with true professionals that are, you know, we can confidently send guests there. We know they're going to be taken care of and we know that the outfitter is going to deliver a great experience. And the Yellow Dog team has been there to vet them. That's yeah, a big we've thing. we've been to every program we work with. We've you know slept in the beds, eaten the food, met the guides, and you know that's a big deal. And having that inside information is huge. And Absolutely. Again, as we talked about in the intro, there's a lot of noise out there, right? I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of lodges and different operations. Nowadays, they've all got you know pretty nice websites. They all show you know the required photos of. You know, guys lifting big fish and, you know, they kind of check the boxes. So it can be hard to, to cut through all of that and say, all right, what is the best fit for me for what I'm looking for? What's going to match up with my expectations? Something we talk a lot about on this on this podcast is managing expectations. But um, again, you've been to these places. They've all been vetted and you, you've established this collection both in Chile and in Argentina of what you think are the finest collection of offerings. Absolutely. And, you know, with the lineup we have, there's so much diversity in terms of fishing and lodging and, you know, just the whole package that we can find something that's going to fit exactly what you're looking for, whether that's something remote in the middle of nowhere in a tent or that's, you know, a more high-end lodge uh, focused, you know, on the on the high level of service. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later in our conversation here because I'm going to put you on the spot and have you, you know, pick some of your favorites based on different categories. But I've got another question for you. And this is one that I've heard for years, right? And, and it is, you know, the anglers and travelers that dismiss Patagonia as, quote, just kind of another trout destination, right? To put it another way, explain to us why someone should travel so far from home to chase what are essentially the same species that can be found in the U.S. or you know predominantly in the U.S. West, why get on a plane and go ten hours south to chase trout? A great question, and you know I think the the first answer would be just the low pressure, the fishing pressure. 
uh, that these fish get. For the most part at these lodges, you're fishing either private water or you're using private leases. And that, you know, controlled pressure makes a huge difference in trout behavior, how accessible they are, how they respond to flies, you know, compared to out here in Montana, for example. Uh, it can be busy on the rivers. Very rarely are you going to run into other folks on the river. A busy day down there would be seeing, I don't know, a couple other people. Um, outside of that, it's just, it's totally different down there. It's a unique setting, a unique environment. You're with guides that are from the area. You're learning about their culture in their land. It's just, you know, a special place to catch fish in a beautiful environment that, you know, is totally unfamiliar. Well, we've done some programs on past episodes with some of our lodge owners from the area down there. And one of the things they always talk about is exactly, you know, they kind of go it deep on what you just said. And then it is, it's just different. You know, you've got the culture, the people, the scenery is familiar, but at the same time exotic. Then you throw in, you know, amazing food, some of the best beef in the world, incredible wines, the Malbecs, the Carmineries and Chile, um, just, you know, amazing wines, some of the best in the world. You package that all up together and you fish an area that is off the grid that more often than not, you're going to have that entire fishery all to yourself. It's getting harder to find these days, but still available in most of the areas down there. Absolutely. Another thing that, you know, I think is really unique to that area and to fishing in Patagonia is just the behavior of the fish. As you know, we already said that it is different, but specifically the fish behave differently than they do out here out west. They don't have eagles and osprey flying around looking to pick them off. So you'll see big fish holding high in the water column creates for really exciting sight fishing opportunities. And it, you know, when the fish don't have to worry about getting eaten from above, they're just, you know, more confidently cruising around. They're more willing to eat. They're more aggressive. It just makes for a better fishing experience. They behave totally differently than they would say on a river in the U S West. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another thing about Patagonia, and again, this is both Chile and Argentina is really the diversity of the fisheries. So obviously you go down, you're going to have kind of your quintessential Patagonian trout rivers. You're going to have some smaller streams. You're going to have some very intimate spring creeks. Um, you're also going to have stillwater fisheries and lakes down there that can produce some of the most amazing, you know, large, pristine, energetic fish. And I know a lot of times people are like, ah, you know, I don't know about lake fishing. It's not really my thing. I want to focus on the rivers. But if you go down with a limited mindset, tell me, in your opinion, why that would be a mistake in Patagonia. Yeah, I think giving the lakes a shot is a is a must. It again is just a unique, different experience. Fishing lakes in Patagonia is different than fishing lakes in North America, uh, and as you said, they are home to very big trout. <laughs> um, oftentimes, the biggest fish of your trip is going to come out of a lake. Catch rates might go down, but you're going to have some memorable experiences with big fish. Oftentimes you're fishing dry flies. Uh, again, you can run into sight fishing opportunities where fish are cruising weed lines or holding behind rocks or under trees. Uh, oftentimes you're throwing big dry flies, you know, on one X tippet for these huge fish in the lakes. It's really exciting. It's not just staring at a bobber, which I think is what a lot of people think when they think lake fishing. Well, and, and you have a legitimate opportunity depending on the lake down there for a double digit trout. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and beautiful specimens as well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hit you with another question that I know you hate, right? But it, you get asked all the time. And that is, you know, when you're talking about the region, how many fish can I expect to catch on a typical trip? How big are those fish going to be from an angling mindset? 
What are my expectations on there? I know that's going to vary depending on where in Patagonia you go, the time of year, obviously the skill level and the quality of the angler. But just in general, when you get hit with that question, how do you answer that? It is kind of a tough one. I would say, you know, as you just said, it it does vary depending on the fishery and the lodge and the location you're going to. And, you know, as we're looking at options, angler ability and expectations and desires come into play. And then, you know, from there, then we can make some decisions on where to go. Overall, I'd say it it's productive down there. You know, a zero fish day is pretty rare. <laughs> uh, of course, it's fishing and conditions change and, you know, can never guarantee anything in fishing. But for the most part, you know, you're, you're getting into a number of fish per day. Uh, and at any time, and this is what I tell people, at any time you can run into something over 20 inches. Whether it's a tiny creek that's two feet wide or it's a huge freestone river, you could catch a serious fish at any moment. Well, what kind of angler, Jack, do you think should consider a trip to Patagonia? If, if someone's like, ah, I don't know, you kind of caught my attention, I'm a little intrigued, but I'm not sure if it's for me. Tell us who's a good fit for fishing either in Argentina or Chile in the Patagonian region. And do you need to be an experienced angler to fish down there? You know, conversely, is this a good destination for new or intermediate anglers? Give us your philosophies on that. I would say it's a great destination for anglers with any ability. Uh, The guides down there are fantastic, very patient, and they will, you know, work with whoever they have that day and get them on fish. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, the low pressure allows for, you know, a little bit more approachable, a little bit easier fishing scenarios. So that's where an angler with intermediate or lower level experience can have a great day, you know, fishing dry flies, getting into fish. Um, But, you know, it's not boring for an experienced angler. There's there's just endless opportunity, but definitely anyone who's going is going to have a great time, get into fish and have a great experience. Yeah, even if, you you know, this is your first kind of freshwater experience, they're going to, you know, the guides, the lodges, the outfitters that that you're fishing with, they're going to be able to line you up and, and show you some success. Yeah, we send people, I mean, multiple times a year, we send folks with, you know, total mixed interests, mixed ability levels. Everyone has a great trip. Everyone's, you know, fishing together, catching fish, having fun. And, you know, the feedback is always very positive, whether it's someone who's been fishing for 30 years or it's literally their first time with a fly rod. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here in a minute and we're going to compare and contrast on different topics chile versus argentina but before we do that i want to talk about traveling down to these areas the actual travel logistics that are involved in getting to both chile and to argentina and then on to patagonia so both countries would you say fairly easy to access yes overall and tell us about where you're headed if you're going to you know one or the other okay we'll start with argentina uh, from the United States, you're going to jump on a red-eye flight headed down to Buenos Aires, and you will arrive at the International Airport. Once you arrive there, typically folks are going to stay a night in Buenos Aires on the front end. That is largely because you have to utilize the domestic airport, which requires driving 45 minutes to an hour across the city, rechecking in for your next flight. You know, a lot of opportunities for a delay or something to go wrong. So for that reason, we advise... Just take a night in Buenos Aires, make sure everything's going well, enjoy the city. It's a great place to be, very safe, you know, walkable, great food, great people, uh, plenty of sights to see. And then that next day, you head to the domestic airport and fly to your, you know, regional airport in Patagonia, which is generally about a two-hour flight. And 
and to touch on Buenos Aires for a minute, I mean, this is an incredible city. I, I'd say one of the top cities in the world to visit and explore the sites, the history, the culture. It is so worthwhile making that trip down, spending a night or two in Buenos Aires, you know, getting a tour guide, having, you know, great restaurants, great sites, the museums, everything about it, and then continuing on to your final domestic location. Absolutely. Yeah, there's I mean, more than a day of things to see. Oftentimes people will build in two, three days to the front end of the trip. There's even Dorado fishing, you know, available for a day trip out of Buenos Aires that we can organize. That's pretty cool. All right. So I'm going to Chile instead. How's that happening for me? So for Chile, it's going to be a, you know relatively similar in that you're going to be on a red eye flight heading south. Instead of going to Buenos Aires, you're going to fly into Santiago. Unlike Buenos Aires, there's just one airport here, so it makes things a little bit easier logistically. Uh, no need for an overnight in Santiago, although some folks do it if, if they want to check out the city. But usually you'll arrive you know, early morning uh, in Santiago, and then you'll walk over to the domestic airport. It's about a, I don't know, 10-minute walk. Very easy. Check in for that next flight south down to Patagonia. So the, the same day you're arriving in Santiago, um, you're probably then continuing on to the lodge and getting to your final destination that same day. Yes, for makes the most part. It, makes it a little easier, potentially, you know, an eight-day trip versus a 10 or 11-day trip. Yep. For folks with limited time, sometimes that, you know, overnight in Buenos Aires or, you know, having to build in that buffer can be a deal breaker. So the most efficient is, is definitely uh, going to be going through Santiago down to Chile. Well, and one thing that I think is important to to point out, like let's say you're doing a trip to the Seychelles or India or even Europe, right? You're, you know, six to 11 time zones east to west. So it oftentimes takes a little bit out of you, certainly on the way there, but coming home, you just get smoked because your your clock is just all messed up, right? From that east to west multi-time zone movement. Going north to south down to either, our, you know, Buenos Aires or Chile, it may be, you know, a one to three hour difference. So it's not that big a deal. A little easier on the system with that north to south flight. Even though it's a, you know, it might be a 10 hour flight down to BA or down to Santiago, you're not getting quite as hammered by the time zone changes. Absolutely. I mean, if you can sleep on a plane, it's like you woke up, you know, you fly halfway around the world and you're an hour difference. All right. Well, that's good information. I think good general travel information about Patagonia. But what I want to do next, Jack, is this. I'm going to throw out a handful of specific topics and categories. And I want you to then compare and contrast Chile versus Argentina in the context of each subject. Now, we're not going to say, okay, there has to be a winner and a loser here, but I want to see, you know, some comparisons. Uh, we'll contrast the, the two options a little bit. Um, the first topic I want to touch on is overall diversity of species. Let's start with Chile. So, Chile just may win out when it comes to total overall diversity of species in Patagonia. You know, they've got sea run browns far in the south. They have steelhead and select drainages, Pacific and Atlantic salmon, resident brown trout, rainbows, brook trouts of all sizes. So they've got a lot of cold water, freshwater species immediately accessible. Um, there's also a wild king salmon population that's kind of gaining some traction down there. And there's some operations that target the king salmon at select times of years. And they're getting better at it. They're getting better at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and those fish weren't always there. They're not indigenous, these these anadromous fish, the steelhead, the, the salmon. But they were introduced years ago. And now they've you know kind of become wild in these fisheries. So it's becoming a more kind of legitimate, sustainable fishery in certain parts of Chile. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. So um, a lot of different waters. You got the different species. Um, now that's on again the the skinny side, the Pacific side of yep. the Andes. All right. Now let's go across the Andes into Argentina. Talk about the diversity there. What are, what are we expecting? So in Argentina, you're going to see you know rainbow brown brook trout. Um, you do have sea run brown trout in the south in Tierra del Fuego. That's you know a very popular area to visit. Probably the biggest sea runs in the world. Absolutely, and that just we'll quickly touch on that. It's you know a very in demand location. If that is on your list, it's good to be early on that. You want to be talking about that you know a year out. Um, it is uh, hard to get in, as you said down there. So you don't want to wait. Um, you book early when it comes to the sea run browns in Tierra del Fuego. Another cool Argentine fishery that oftentimes is paired with the Tierra Fuego fisheries is Jurassic Lake. And again, um, when I first heard years and years ago about Jurassic Lake, I was like, oh, I get it. You know, it's big rainbows in a lake. How cool can it be? I made my first trip down there and I, I saw the light, right? I've, I've, I've since been back multiple <laughs> times. It is one of the coolest fisheries. And um, you can go to Jurassic Lake. You will, um, in all likelihood, catch the biggest rainbow in your entire life, um, maybe each day of the trip because they're there in good <laughs> numbers. Um, you go a little further south to Tierra del Fuego, you will catch in all likelihood the biggest brown trout of your life with these sea run browns on the Rio Grande. But one popular trip that, again, takes a lot of kind of forward thinking and planning because you have to book pretty far out, but a combo trip between Jurassic Lake and Tierra del Fuego in the same overall trip, a two-location combo. Yep, that, the big fish you know, combo. The big fish combo. Yeah, it's it's becoming more popular and logistically is easier than it sounds. There's a direct flight from El Calafate to Ushuaia, so it's pretty easy to pair these two together. Yeah, so left side of the Andes, the Chilean side, may be a larger overall diversity because you have that anadromous fish component, the, the salmon, the steelhead, they're thrown in in certain drainages over in Argentina, uh, you're focused primarily on browns, rainbows, some brook trout in certain rivers, um, but quantities, like good numbers of all of these fish in both places. Absolutely. Great numbers across the board, big fish everywhere, um, both worth seeing. Uh, one other thing I'll throw in about Argentina, which isn't in Patagonia, but it definitely qualifies as part of the diversity of the species, would be the op- the option to add on a you know a Golden Dorado portion of the trip whether that's a couple day trips in Buenos Aires or something in the north, you know, more of like a lodge package. Uh, there are good options that are very easy to tack on. Yeah, and, and also some bird hunting options, too, for dove hunting and other yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. All right, second category I want to talk about in comparing and contrasting Argentina and Chile, hatches. What's your opinion on comparing the two countries when it comes to hatches? So I'd say overall, speaking generally here, Argentina is going to have more hatches, more biomass, uh, more aquatic insect life compared to Chile. Well, not only is 90% of Patagonia fall on the Argentine side, but if you look at the map, all right, you've got that the spine, the Andes, which are just incredibly rugged mountains that run north to south right through the heart of Patagonia there. On the left, you've got the skinny little side of Chile. The, The rivers that run down to the Pacific side are very steep. They're very fast. They don't quite hold the biomass of the insects, and and you know the the hatches are not found there because those rivers really kind of get scoured because of the you know the the angle coming off the Andes there, right? Absolutely, I mean, that's a basic yeah. way to say it. In Argentina, you have a much more gradual outflow from the Andes onto the steeps and onto the flatlands. 
So you're going to have oftentimes slower type rivers. A lot of what we might find in like Montana, Idaho, you know, some of the Western states, very similar as far as the characteristics of some of the rivers and, you know, the speed of the rivers, uh, also the insect life, which is similar in a lot of ways to the U.S. West. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all, all the flies you can use in the U.S. West will work down there. In Argentina. In Argentina. Yeah, a lot of the same hatches. Yeah. Whereas in Chile, when it comes to hatches, you might not, you know, see the mayflies or the stoneflies or the, or the caddis on nearly the same level, which is one of the reasons down there they fish a lot of big attractors, big foam flies, which are a lot of fun. You know, the the chubbies and the Chernobyl everything. Yep. Um, you know, the Gypsy Kings. Fat Alberts. Fat Alberts. Very popular flies in Chile. Big attractor floating dries. You also have really good streamer fishing. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, in general, like you said, Chile and with this big dramatic landscape of canyons and fast rivers and big water, you got to throw big flies for the fish to find them and, and, you know, convince them to come up and convince them to eat. Whereas in Argentina, things moving a little bit slower, a little more hatch oriented fish are, you know, a little bit more in touch with the, you know, exactly what's on the menu, so to speak. So if you want to focus on throwing the big stuff, you know, dragonflies, big streamers, giant beetles, right? Large foam patterns, maybe even some mouse patterns. Might lean towards chili. If you're an angler that really likes to dial in the hatches and fish exactly what's going on at any given time, maybe the needle swings over to Argentina. Yep. Speaking generally, you know, both, it's important to note that both countries offer, you know, both of these opportunities. It just comes down to the specific fishery, but speaking generally, absolutely right on track there. All right. The next category I want to talk about, I'm going to compare and contrast terrain and landscape. Now, we just kind of talked about how the Andes are very steep and severe on the Chilean side, um, less so on the Argentine side, but kind of compare the the terrain and landscape between the two countries. Yeah, so we've touched on this a little bit, but in, in Chile, you've got a very dramatic landscape, you know, with big relief coming right out of the ocean, right out of the Pacific, and that's a cold water, you know, offshore there. So, that that cold water will rise and you know build into clouds and pretty significant rainstorm off the Andes Mountains. So Chile is known for being very wet. You know they do see quite a bit of rain. It, it, it you know is a temperate rainforest and it definitely feels like that. So it's got this you know very lush green um, setting to it. Well, and and I I oftentimes think of when I think of especially the southern part of Chile and Patagonia. Um, more like the Pacific Northwest here in the States, mm-hmm. like the Olympic Peninsula, kind of the Oregon and Washington coastlines. Whereas Argentina, it feels very similar to places that are more in like the high desert U.S. West, like Montana or Idaho. Yeah. So in Argentina, you're east of the mountains. You're now in what would probably qualify as a rain shadow. You know, it's much drier, more arid climate. Looks very familiar to the U.S. West, but still different. You know, it's it's close, but but similar. Uh, which can kind of throw you for a loop at times. Well, and, and in the Chilean side, I mean, you have these crazy fjords down south, these narrow valleys. Um, you have glaciers down there. Um, some parts of it even feel like Alaska. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, you've got, uh, you know, I, I think for one thing that, that's worth mentioning is because of the topography of Chile. And as you said, it's just so rugged coming off, you know, those steep declines off the Andes. For years, a lot of the most productive rivers down there were really difficult to access without long heights, hikes or, you know, horse packing or, or in some instances, helicopters, right? Mm-hmm. But more and more, especially over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, lodgers and outfitters have been able to open up a lot of these fisheries in this terrain. So um, it's probably broadened the, the options quite a bit as, as these um, 
outfitters and lodges have become more established and kind of been pioneering more waters down there. Definitely. Each year, you know, every lodge is focused on offering a better experience or the best experience that they can for their guests. And, you know, a lot of these lodges have very high return rates and their guests want to see new stuff each year. So the outfitters are always pushing the limits. They're getting new leases. They're building new roads. They're, you know, a road is a little bit different than the roads we know here. Some of them, you know, you're bouncing down the road, hitting your head on the top of the truck, but they get you there. Um, but there's no question the, you know, they're getting further and further each year. All right. Well, fourth topic. All right. Fourth category. Let's talk about the weather. And that, that's a pretty broad one, right? I mean, it depends on where you are, what time of the season you're there. But let's compare the weather between Argentina and Chile. So if I had to general, very generally high level compare, I'd say, you know, in Chile, it's going to be a little bit cooler, a little more wet. You're in that temperate rainforest compared to Argentina, where a little more dry, arid. Um, one thing I like to mention in both locations is the wind. You know, you hear about Patagonia, no matter where you start doing your research, you're going to run into you know something about the wind. It is a factor down there. It's not a reason not to go. It doesn't hurt the fishing. I think in a lot of ways it helps the fishing. But on both sides, you're likely going to run into some wind. Especially true if you're going way south to Tierra del Fuego, which is legendary for its winds. Yeah, the further south you go, the windier it gets. Yeah, and that's all right. You know, the guides know that. They have a plan. They're going to put you in waters where you can you can fish and still have a high degree of success. But, yeah, you, you do want to prepare for that. And uh, so often with, I can't even tell you the number of episodes we've talked about advice for preparing for a trip. Well, that's great advice right there. Practice your casting before you get there. And don't just focus on the really nice, calm, you know, calm, sunny days. If it's windy outside, if it's nuke and wind a little bit, go out and practice your casting into the wind, with the wind, across the wind. That'll really set you up well for a Patagonian trip. Absolutely. Practice is key for any trip, not just Patagonia. No matter where you're going, get the rod in your hand, get out there and do some practice. All right. Well, one of the, we kind of talked about this before, but um, another category to compare and contrast, the ease of access and transportation. Now, you ran us through you know, how you get to Argentina through Buenos Aires and then to transfer to the domestic airport. If you're going to Chile, um, you're going to Santiago. But um, they're pretty similar as far as, as the flights north to south, the time it takes, and the logistics involved. Yeah, logistics involved in total time, I think, is, is very similar. Uh, the, really, the main difference here is the overnight in Buenos Aires, which is not always required, but oftentimes necessary and, and usually advised. Uh, but beyond that, both very accessible. You know, there's a lot of direct options from the United States and pretty easy to make happen again with that time change uh, being so minimal. Well, and I would say that once you arrive in country, if you compare Argentina to Chile, a lot of the established fishing infrastructures in Argentina, more in northern Patagonia compared to like Terra del Fuego, obviously, which is very remote. Um, a lot of the established fishing infrastructure in Argentina can be found in areas like San Martin de los Andes, um, Bariloche, Esquel, Junín, towns that you know have some infrastructure that are pretty easy to access. A lot of times uh, with the, I would say the exception of like the Coyhaique fisheries in Chile, the Puerto Montt fisheries, a lot of the lodge operations are pretty remote down there. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty remote. You know, they're at the end of a long dirt road. And uh, once you're out there, not really going to see many other anglers and, and it feels remote. Well, this has been good. I mean, there you have it. Some great comparisons between Argentina and Chile that can hopefully provide you with a kind of a base from which to start planning a Patagonian trip if it's in your near future. You know, the bottom line, I think, Jack, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that wherever you choose to go in Patagonia, you're going to find great fishing. You're going to find friendly people. You're going to find a unique culture, obviously beautiful scenery, 
really on either side of the border. Absolutely. Can't go wrong with either one. And, and, you know, depending on your goals and your desires and what your priorities are for the trip, we can find something that's going to fit exactly what, exactly what you're looking for. And I usually advise that people focus less on what country and more on the experience. And from there, we narrow it down. Well, and the cool thing, and we should talk about this, for those that just cannot decide, right? They can't pull the trigger on one over the other. You can arrange packages that allow you to fish both countries on the same itinerary, maybe a week on one side of the Andes, then you cross over, spend a week on the other side. It's actually logistically a little bit easier than it sounds. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. There are, you know, while it is remote and expansive down there, there are some roads that cross the border. And oftentimes, you know, you'll fish a week in Chile, for example, those, uh, you know, on that transfer day, the guides will drive you to the border and at the border on the other side is the, you know, the guides from the other lodge, you jump across the border, they pick you up and then you head east and, and you're at the, the next lodge for another week. Pretty cool way to do it and to see both countries experience both countries. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to see the whole variety and to get the full sampler platter, you know, a combination trip between Chile and Argentina is just tough to beat. It's as good as it gets. As good as it gets. Well, no matter where you decide to go in Patagonia, how far in advance should people plan and actually book a trip? What's your advice on that? So I'd say if you're serious, you know, you know, you want to go, there's no such thing as too early. Um, Realistically, if you're about 12 months out, I think that's the optimal time to start thinking about it and start the conversation. Um, A lot of, or not a lot, a few of the lodges do give their guests the right of first refusal. So if you call about, you know, a year in advance, you get on their radar, uh, you know, oftentimes the lodge will let you book that far out. But if you want your your first choice at the best dates, I like to be a year out. There you go. Good advice on that. Well, I want to kind of end by throwing some different scenarios at you, some different trip parameters, let's say. Um, I'll describe it, and then you give me a pick for each country, maybe two picks for each country, but, you know, your favorite Argentine options, your favorite Chilean options for these kind of specific parameters. Number one, I know this is one of your favorites. You get it all the time. And Angler says, I want to go down and just focus on dry fly fishing. Where am I going in both countries? I mean, everywhere is going to offer good dry fly fishing, but uh, we'll start Argentina. I mean, Las Pampas Lodge, I love love it there. It's, you know, a lot of wading, sight fishing, small waters. Rio Pico. Rio Pico region. Um, another one in Argentina. I mean, they're all so good. It's hard, it's hard to pick two. Chocolate Lab Expeditions up north. Uh, you know, some great guides. They want to fish the dry They'll, uh, they'll get you on fish with the dry fly. They're very hatch-focused. Very hatch-focused yeah. up there. How about Chile? Chile, I really like Estancia de los Rios. Uh, again, small water, intimate waters, you know, fishing some hatches, but very visual. You know, dry fly always gets it done there. Um, that, there's, I mean, like you said, it, it can be good everywhere. It's good, that's a hard it's question to everywhere. answer. Yeah. yeah. All right, how about uh, best couples trip? Let's say... You've got a couple going down, there's one angler, there's, you know, a significant other that may or may not be focused on angling or is hardcore, maybe isn't going to fish at all. So what are some of your favorite couples destinations for both countries? Couples destinations in Argentina, I really like Patagonia River Guides. You know, they've got three locations, Patagonia River Guides South in Treveline, they've got Patagonia River Guides North in the San Martin region, and they've got Tres Valles in Rio Pico. And, you know, you can't go wrong with any of those three, but really... PRG South Traveling and PRG North, 
do a great job with couples trips. Really high level of service, amenities, food, everything. Absolutely. And, you know, whether the couple, you know, both people want to be fishing or non-fishing, they can accommodate that and everyone's going to have a great time. How about in Chile? In Chile, you know, Martin Pescador does a really good job and they've been building out their non-angling activities. So for groups with mixed interests or couples, uh, that's a good one. All right. Similar, but maybe a little more challenging, best family trips. So you're going down, mom and dad are going down, kids are coming. And they might be young kids, they might be, you know, teens, uh, but destinations have a little something for everybody. What do you like? Yeah, so in Argentina for families, I really like uh, Rio Manso Lodge. You know, when you have a family, you got the kids, not everyone wants to do the same thing every day. So having options and variety in a comfortable location is key. And I think Rio Monso does a great job of having approachable fishing, a beautiful lodge. The town of Bariloche is a quick drive away. You can pop into there for the day and, you know, everyone can do what they want and be happy. Cool. Cross the border, Chile, best family trip. You know, we, we do quite a few family trips at Cinco Rios and Estancia del Zorro. That's a combination. Utilizing that's two the town lodges. of Coyhaique by Cinco Rios, which... I always describe it as it's, it's a little bit like the Bozeman of Patagonia. Um, there's lots going on. It's a great outdoor town, lots of outdoor rec activities, kind of something. For exactly. Everybody. Great for the same reasons as Rio Monso, just lots to do, lots of variety. They've got a really good equestrian program. So for anyone interested in horseback riding, uh, they do a great job with that. Not only them, you know, a lot of the lodges that we work with do well with horseback riding, but for families, they always, you know, Cinco Rios del Zorro always does a good job. All right. How about switching gears, uh, maybe hardcore angler or small group of anglers, the most remote off the grid options where you are going to be completely by yourself. You're not going to see anybody else. You're going to feel like you're a million miles from anything. What are your favorite picks? In Chile, the River of Dreams base camp is pretty tough to beat. I mean, the only way to get there is couple hours on the back of a horse or a helicopter so you really will not see anyone uh when you're at the base camp there on the rio blanco river how about argentina argentina i'd say you know las pampas lodge again is it's at the end of a long dirt road and you know tucked up against the border in chile and not many folks make it out there all right how about a scenario for a short stay let's say someone's going down to Buenos Aires for, you know, a total different reason. You know, they're going down to watch polo or they're going down for, you know, someone, you know, one of their kids graduation who's who's studying abroad. Um, But they say, hey, Jack, I just want to add a few days of fishing to my extended South America trip. Do you have anything that fits the bill for that? So a lot of the lodges do operate on a full week long schedule. Most of them require a Saturday arrival and then you depart the following Saturday. Uh, the best option for a shorter trip that you described would be probably Rio Manso in Argentina. And they can accommodate anything from, you know, one night, two nights up to 10 days. So a lot of flexibility there um, right outside of Bariloche, which is the most accessible airport um, in Patagonia. So that is definitely the best option for an add on for Argentina. Anything Argentina. in Chile that works? In Chile, again, very limited. We really only have one option, and it's way down in the south. Um, it's called Gray Fox Outdoor, and they are operating out of Punta Arenas, right outside of Torres del Paine National Park. So we get quite a bit of uh, interest in this when people have existing travel to Torres del Paine or even a cruise to Antarctica. 
and they end their cruise in uh, Punta Arenas. That's where this becomes a really good option. You're already way down there. Uh, they can pick you up. They've got a lot of dynamic fisheries. It's almost all wade fishing, but they do a good job with the shorter trips. And it sees very few anglers. That is a legit fishery down there. Very few anglers, yeah. Yeah, really good. All right, how about, last one I'm going to ask you about, the best all-inclusive operations. What I mean by this is you can literally show up with nothing other than the clothes on your back, and these guys are going to be able to kit you out with everything from waders to rods and reels, raincoats. I mean, everything you need if you want to travel light with nothing but a carry-on and just show up and use everything that the lodge has. Who are the best for that? In Argentina, Patagonia River Guides, uh, there's no question. They've got top-of-the-line everything. Like you said, you can show up with nothing. They've got it all. You know, you're going to have all the right stuff. It's all going to fit. It's all going to be comfortable. It's all new, uh, and, and you're going to have a great week. Anything in Chile that, that is close to what PRG does? In Chile, you know, Martin Pescador offers, you know, complete outfitting now, which is great. And uh, Magic Waters Lodge does a good job as well. All right. Well, that's great. Um, some some fun things to, to consider. If you've been thinking about planning a trip, if you've been down and are looking to, to visit a new area in Patagonia, a new fishery, a different lodge, Hopefully this has uh, provided some food for thought, and hopefully you've been taking notes. I think uh, you've covered a lot of good stuff here, Jack. Yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's you know, I think really useful to talk about the differences. And even at a high level, uh, there's just so much to consider in a trip to Patagonia, and it can be totally overwhelming when you start doing research on the Internet. And, you know, there's hundreds of lodges in different regions. It's just hard to make sense of it all. Well, Jack, I think that's a great closing statement to end things on. It's been some incredible information. I hope... Uh, you know, for those that were planning a trip um, or thinking about kind of the next adventure, you've been you've been taking notes, and and I'm sure you've uh, been able to to take some great advice from Jack on this. If if people want to get started on a trip, Jack, or if they want to find out more information or, or research more of the options, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can always reach out uh, by calling the Yellow Dog office or sending me an email, and our website is also a great resource to you know start planning to see the options available but i do recommend that you give us a call and we can you know talk about the specifics of what you're looking for and what you're hoping to get out of the trip and from there we can really narrow it down and make sure that we're focused on the right areas and the right destinations right on well thanks for joining us today this has been great yeah thanks for having me well that is it for this latest episode of waypoints the podcast that is 100 dedicated to travel destination angling and the search for adventure be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com to plan and research travel, source gear, equipment, and flies for your next destination, and to stay up to date on the latest angling news and developments. Join us for our next episode, and remember, life is short and no one ever regretted a life of adventure. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Waypoints is produced by Brian Gregson, with music provided by the Steep Canyon Rangers. Visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more destination profiles, travel news, and expert advice, and be sure to join us for our next episode.